Welcome to the Melrose Place cast. My name is Tej. I'm a Melrose Place super fan going back decades, and I'm here to convince my friend Mary that this show counts as high art for the generations worthy of literary praise. And I'm Mary, and I'm here to convince my friend Tej that it's a trashy soap opera, and that's okay. Join us on our very, very long journey from season one, episode one, pilot, to season seven, episode 35, Asses to Ashes. Oh, good news, Mary. There's the reboot season that we get to watch as well. What? And Models Inc., the spinoff. There's a spinoff. And we should probably review Beverly Hills 90210 when that's all done. Wasn't that on before this? Why would we do. Hello, everyone, and by everyone, I mean one or two people. Thank you and welcome back to another Melrose cast. We are on season one, episode three, and I forgot the title of it, but I think it's called Lost and Found. I see, you lost it from your memory, but you found it. What a miracle. That, that was demonstrative of the high art that this show is. <laughs> it really sticks with you. Like, it really just sticks right in your brain. Mary, how did you feel about this episode, just overall? It was fine. It was fine. How about you? I am so sick of these damn high school kids. <laughs> That's true on the show and in life. <laughs> well, should we get into our hot debate, Mary? Yeah, I'm ready. Mary, I would like to propose to you that Melrose Place counts as high art. Okay. Because of what we learned about marriage from Jane Mancini. <laughs> This is what we learned. First, there are uh, four specific quotes that I want to raise to you because I don't think they're the last time Jane is going to be saying them. Are you ready? I'm ready. So first, when Jane and Michael were getting a little bit frisky, she said, control yourself, Dr. Mancini. And I feel like <laughs> he's going to get that a time or two. Mm-hmm. And not said, just, what? Not just from her, too. <laughs> no, from, from his plethora of his harem. His impending harem, yes. Yeah. Not just from Jane, but also Jane's little sister is going to need to say this, too. It's just everybody in the family, everybody in L.A. is going to be saying, control yourself, Dr. Mancini. It's going to be like they're going to hire a skywriter to just fly around and put that up there just to remind him. Yeah. He needs it, too. He needs reminders. You know, a second quote Jane said that will not be the last time. She was She was talking about some movie they watched together, but she said, and I quote, I'm the only one who cries. You never cry. And that's that's in her future. That, yep. That's fair. That's yep. 100%. Jane went, and if, for, for our, view, our listener who maybe hasn't watched the episode, this is going to be confusing, but Jane was on a date with a nice guy who said, is married life that much of a drag? And she said, full of sarcasm that I did not think her character had. No, it's wonderful, damn it. And I thought, yep, yep. First of all, I can relate. Second of all, she's going to be saying that a time or two. <laughs> and then the fourth quote, I just thought this is different than the others because it may be the only time we hear her say this. She said, in all sincerity to, I believe, Sandy, I love my life. I love my husband. And she better hold on to this. She better not forget this moment because she won't get it back. <laughs> but this is this is the high art that we learned about marriage because Jane, we learned her age. She's 23. She's on ready, ready to go out on the town after Sandy challenge triple dog dares her. 
triple dog stare. I don't know where to pluralize that. But she goes out to shooters and a couple people are coming, a couple dudes, a couple gentle fellows are coming over to her and Rhonda. And she slips her wedding ring off and puts it in her pocket and experiences life as a single lady. And in the 90s, you had to take off your wedding ring to experience life as a single lady. And I think that's what they were telling us, what they were projecting into the future. Because, of course, now to experience life as a single person, you just need to download the apps. That's true. The world has changed. Yeah. But yeah. back then, back then, it was hide that ring and hope it shows up in a trash can. <laughs> Poor Jane. But you know what was we so that's why it's high art, right? It was really, really telling the story of, of a young married couple, happily married couple in LA in the nineties. But there was something really weird about her date with uh nice guy. <laughs> which is she brought her date back to the courtyard. Did you notice that? That did seem odd, didn't it? That yeah. did seem odd. And, and it wasn't like a quick uh, dust off either. Like she let them linger. They talked. She said, yep. you're a real nice guy. And he said, yeah, that's, you know, that's where we, you know, where we finish. <laughs> and I just thought the foreshadowing, because here's Jane Mancini letting a nice guy go. So she can go back inside to Dr. Michael Mancini. And I don't think that was the right choice for her. Choices. Choices. <laughs> The one last thing, and then I'll, then I'll give up the point. Uh, so she went in. They, her and Michael had wild sex. I imagine because off, off camera, off off camera, because Sandy came knocking up on that door, and when they answered, if this was an attention to detail that I was impressed by, Michael's chest was sweaty. Do you think he's just naturally sweaty? No, no, because we see him. Listen, the scenes we're going to see him in in the future. He's, he's not a naturally sweaty person. Maybe it was hot when they were filming that day. Or, you know, maybe he's a method actor and him and Jane literally, literally had sex to be in character. That could be. Who knows? It was the 90s. It know? was the 90s. And But this is also, this is the scene where I learned that the, the owner of Shooters, who is not Jake yet, uh, wears, wears a boot near to work. And I... I want to know what type of bar this is. I don't really understand what Shooters is because there are times when it's presented like it's like a biker bar. Like they'll show an exterior shot. There's a bunch of motorcycles. But then you get inside. It's a bunch of little yuppies like Allison and Billy standing around. And then the next time it's a pool hall. And then sometimes there's food and then there's high schoolers. Like I don't know what's going on at Shooters. I don't understand what their permits are. Just <laughs> Clearly they can sell alcohol, but they can also allow minors without parents. I thought that was just the stuff. Well, minors without parents, yes, but as long as the minor has a boyfriend with them. I guess if he, like, works at the bar, too, maybe that makes a difference. I don't know. Yeah, well, uh, that's my point for high art, Jane and Michael. What is there anything that made you think this was just a trashy soap opera? I'm going to guess no. I'm going to say Jane and Michael. Uh, mm. I'm going to turn this right back around. So, uh, it is it's a soap opera and that's fine and i think the, there's a lot of evidence to it just being kind of a trashy soap opera i think one of those main exhibits is the relationship between jane and michael so we open this show i believe this time michael what? trying to clean the pool because again i don't know if they just don't pay rent and in lieu of rent they take care of the complex or getting a cut on the rent it's unclear i think they may have said in the first episode but i don't remember um 
So he's got the, whatever you call the wand is that you put in a pool. I live in Northern Wisconsin. We don't have pools because of the freezing. Uh, he's, he's trying to clean the pool, like presumably on his afternoon off from the hospital. He is a doctor again. Let's be clear. He is a doctor fresh out of medical school, school. So he's working like a lot at the hospital. Then he comes home and he takes care of this complex. Jane, who also lives there in the same apartment under the same arrangement, I presume. <laughs> she is like mauling him and hanging over his shoulders while he's trying to clean the pool. And that's all well and good. I get that she's feeling risky, but like the man is juggling a job as a doctor. Plus, he's cleaning the pool, fixing the water pipe when the hot water goes out. Like, why don't you clean the pool? What are you doing all day besides sitting there? You're not doing anything. Help. Help your husband so he has more time to have sex with you if that's what you want. Don't forget, he's a doctor with post-traumatic stress disorder from seeing the insides of people. Oh, God. And yeah. he's going to have so many insides. <laughs> so many. Uh, so that, okay, that's a problem. Uh, so they move on in the scene and she has planned a night and I'm going to be a giggling 13 year old of passionate, all consuming love, which involves chili dogs. Uh, this is a recurring theme throughout the episode. They're going to eat chili dogs, <laughs> and watch a ghost, and then have, again, passionate, all consuming love. Now, <laughs> I see a few problems here. <laughs> I'm going to leave those to the imagination. Uh, Michael gets a phone call from work from the hospital because, again, he is a doctor, a young, <laughs> new doctor who works horrible shifts, and he has to go in. Uh, and see someone's and, insides. Again, which, again, is clearly very troubling for him. And so he's apologizing. He's saying, I'm so sorry. I know you had a night of uh, passionate, all-consuming love planned, but I have to work late on a surgery. And so she gets all huffy like she does. And he goes, he closes with, I love you. And she responds, me too. <laughs> That's not the right answer to that question. Uh, so she decides to go to the hospital. Yeah, I've got uh, some things to say here. Yeah. So, oh, so anyway, I'm sorry. First, she goes, she's, she's out by the pool sulking and Sandy comes up and I forgot. Sandy is pretty funny. Like Sandy is the unlikely voice of reason many times at this point on the show. Not in real life, judging by what happens to her. But in the, on the show, she has moments of truth. And like you said, she tells Jane, you're 23. Life is passing you by. And I'm like, you're 23? And you're like, this This is horrible. You're the old, You're like older than Allison at this point. Hey. Oh, wow. I went too far. Uh, so Sandy's trying to convince her to go have a night out at Shooters and, quote, get good and toasted. And Jane dismisses her. And Sandy responds that, and I'm going to try to do a Southern accent, at least as well as Sandy you should prove you're not a prisoner of that little old wedding band. <laughs> I think you did do as well as Sandy. I'm ready to star on a nighttime soap. So instead I of are. listening to Sandy, <laughs> instead of listening to Sandy, she goes to the hospital and she finds Michael in the doctor's lounge and she's carrying a tray that has three like, full-sized candles like you'd put on a table and some chili dogs because she's not going to let this go. And listen, I get you're trying to have a gesture, but first of all, she mentioned each of the three candles represents one month in L.A. They've only lived there for three months. How do they know all these people in this building that well? And they talk like they have this deep history and they all know each other. I'm like, three months? Like, I've had pimples in my life that lasted longer than three months. Like, what the hell is going on with these people? On top of it, she's walking around a hospital with lit candles. There's oxygen tanks. There's all kinds of equipment. Like, who, did, did she light them outside the 
door? Has she been walking in from the parking lot like this? Mary, I think you could smoke in hospitals back then. I don't know if you could in the 90s. Wasn't that like the 80s? Smoke them if you got them. So I will I will shut up about Jane in a minute. But so oh, will you? <laughs> eventually. So the, the story turns. She goes to shooters with Rhonda. Thank God Rhonda shows up. Rhonda just wants to mac on some hotties. All right. That's all she wants. Wow. So that, was real, that was real slut shady, Mary. It was. I'm sorry. They say she wants to mac on some hotties. Just, <laughs> just one guy. Just one random guy that she wanted to meet up with that night. I don't know. <sighs> Poor uh, Rhonda. I love Rhonda. Rhonda, they could just have the show be about Rhonda and Sandy. It'd be a great show. I'd watch the heck out of that. And Matt, they can have Matt. Well, you, you're the one. You're the one. <laughs> they did not test this with my demographic in the 90s. <laughs> Sandy tells Jane, so they, they get some hotties who are eyeing them up. And Sandy's like, all right, you got some, you know, bullseye. There's a couple of hotties coming in. And she tells Jane that a real hunter doesn't kill her prey, but she eats it. To which Jane responds, no, thank you. I had chili dogs for dinner. <laughs> uh, there's a lot. So they start flirting with these hotties and she slips off her wedding, like you say. And they have a fine time. They go to another club that looks better than shooters. Uh, and she's dancing with the hottie. And then she kind of gives them the cold shoulder. And I thought for the 90s, the, so the hottie rocker guy, while cheesy, I thought he was pretty respectful. Like for a portrayal of a like sort of dude in a bar, he was like, "What's wrong? Like, did I do something wrong? Have I offended you?" And she's just sort of being Jane and being a dick. And he's like, "What's going on?" And she's like, "Well, I'm married." He's like, "Well, I don't see a ring." So of course, because this is a cheesy soap opera, she goes into the pocket where she put her ring, and it's gone. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I could never have seen that coming. Now these two guys. So she has at this point told the guy she was flirting with that she was lying and she's married. He's nice enough to stick around with his buddy who's flirting with Rhonda, and they crawl around on the floor looking for this ring after she's been a liar. She's been openly dishonest with them. And then she's bitching about how it's a family She heirloom. did not lie. The guy did not say, are you married? He said, do you have a boyfriend? And she said, technically, no. See, that's how we know she belonged with Michael Mancini, because that is a Michael Mancini-style half-truth. <laughs> Michael Mancini wouldn't half-truth. He, you, you would ask Michael Mancini, is your wife alive? And he would say, yes, but he wouldn't clarify which wife. Or he would say, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Or he'd say, say, shut up, stand near the edge of this cliff. (laughs) Spoiler. So somehow it's all everyone else's fault because, and I quote, she shouldn't have listened to lonely losers who told her to go out. (laughs) Like, wow. Uh, She gets home and she's going to tell Michael what happened. But again, she locks out and not only is michael waiting at home but he's he wants a night of all-consuming passion as well and they there is a room full of candles and chili dogs and a sweaty chest <laughs> so sweaty so sweaty so, so yes jane is a very she's just she's a soap opera character mary i gotta I have to tell you 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 were wound up about jane you had some things to say i i would like to suggest to you that you don't think she's a boring character I do think she's a boring character. You have a lot more to say about her than anybody else. But it was mo- it was all complaints. <laughs> but 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 she got your attention. Although this this episode really did revolve around Jane. Mm-hmm. Oh, Mary, no, uh, they complain when you eat or drink on a podcast. I'm sorry. And and apparently when women laugh, that's what I hear from Doctor Lucy. I'm doing everything wrong, as you. <laughs> okay, uh, you know I'm gonna I'm gonna. 
not dispute your portrayal that Jay, the way they played Jane this week was a bit trashy, but I'd like to give you a, a bit of high art that we got from this episode. Are you ready for it? Yeah. So do you remember when our token gay went to a party? Yes. He was okay. a hot party out at the canyon. Yes. Well, a bunch of wild people, which is code for gay. Yeah. And he was inviting, I believe, Allison, which I do not think the party host would have approved. <laughs> no, no it passes up a wild party with a bunch of gays out in the canyon. You go to the party. <laughs> Listen, the I've, I've been to those parties. And when we say bring a friend, <laughs> we, we do not mean an honor student from the University of Wisconsin no. who's probably got a milk allergy. And you probably don't mean a lady. <laughs> no, we do not mean a lady. <laughs> yeah, no, no. But nonetheless, I thought the portrayal of Matt in that moment really captured how gay characters were able to be, how, how gay characters were treated in popular culture in the 90s. He couldn't say gay, right? We, could, we can't say that so plainly. He had to only insinuate that it was a wild party. And because they were going to be gay people, of course, they would be wild, right? This was yeah. how everybody viewed things. I don't even think the movie Philadelphia had come out yet, which was a real watershed moment just as far as um, a, a sympathetic portrayal of a, a LGBT character. But Matt just had to go and he was going to this wild party in the canyon that he wanted to bring a lady for. So... That was weird. He also was wearing bright white high top sneakers that did not match. Not for a party. Not for a canyon. I I quibble with Matt's fashion choice, but I think they needed to intentionally not make him an attractive person. I would agree. And some of the suit coats they put him in are. I don't know if you're familiar with the band Talking Heads. That may have been before your time, but. Uh, there's there's a famous video and the man is wearing a giant suit and that's what I think of every time I see Matt because his suits are comically oversized. Oh. His his dad must be so proud. Oh God! How much time if Matt had been in Philadelphia? Do you think he would have gotten more screen time than he does on this show? No. Fair. The the weird part, as we'll see as we go forward, Matt's most significant relationship in this show is with a Russian woman. That's how art imitates life, you know. All right. Well, Mary, I think we need to take a break. Are you ready for a break? Oh, God. Yeah, I can take a drink then. All right. <laughs> and a laugh. You can have a laugh. Oh, finally, I can release all this energy. <laughs> this week's episode of the Melrose Place cast is brought to you by Tuna Casserole Accomplice. Not to be confused <laughs> with the popular brand name version with an anthropomorphic white glove that makes a great meal. Long day. Tired. <laughs> Putting in a lot of hours at work. You need to <laughs> you need to share some bad news with someone. Maybe you've got a whiny child at home or maybe a whiny man child. <laughs> well, let me tell you what, you can fill that void in your belly and you can fill those moments of awkward silence with delicious tuna casserole accomplice. <laughs> All you have to do is add tuna. You create a sumptuous feast for the senses, almost as sensual as chili dogs. And it will make your mouth water. It will nourish your body just enough to make it till breakfast. <laughs> will it fatten, fatten someone up? Oh, God, that it fatten you right up. Just serve in moderation. <laughs> I just can't get over tuna casserole accomplice. <laughs> 
Not to be confused with Tuna Helper. No, do not. We are not that. Do we? We, we are not that product. Uh, uh, if you really want to amp up that flavor, just sprinkle on a little bit of extra Midwestern passive aggressiveness when you serve it. Is that you know, potato chips? Oh yeah, or those little crunchy onion things. <laughs> you know what? You whip up a, a two-serving meal of two. <laughs> casserole accomplice and in no time your family's going to be yelling you have no taste <laughs> it's just like mom used to make or dad but let's face it probably mom where do i get it well i have great news tuna casserole accomplice is on sale this week at the piggly wiggly three three dollars what a deal sadly though tuna is not on sale this week that's tuna casserole accomplice Again, just like mom to make, maybe dad, but probably mom. Does it need tuna? Yeah, you got to have tuna, It's but it's not on sale this week. Only the accomplice is on sale this week. <laughs> Can I you buy the accomplice this week and wait for the tuna sale next week? Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm not in charge of the grocery store sales. You are. It is valid. They should probably put both on sale at the same time, but I'm not in charge of that. We're going to have to talk to the Piggly Wiggly. <laughs> well, we appreciate our sponsor. Oh, God. I'm, I I don't know about you, Tej, but I am so hungry right now after hearing about all these great foods that we could be eating. <laughs> Do you if they make a vegan version of any of these? <laughs> no, they don't. A vegan tuna casserole accomplice. That no. is Do you know- Get down to the store. <laughs> So a, a thing that's really happening is the the plant based food section now does have fake fish patties, and uh, it's going to be gross. I'll try it. You know what might help? Mix it in with a little bit of tuna casserole accomplice, <laughs> and sprinkle in some love. <laughs> and we're back, season one, episode three, Lost and Found. Mary, you had more evidence that this is just a trashy soap opera tell me what you got i do his name is billy <laughs> he is a terrible writer and i'm gonna go out on a limb he's not a great actor uh, <laughs> but so, the abs he was hired for the abs that's fair that's I, I do think you're right about that uh so we open up in the morning at that apartment that those two share and he is in some sort of fantasy sequence in his mind where he's writing this terrible stupid noir fantasy and there's like a lady dancing around it's supposed to be like a jazz club and it's 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 not good it's clearly meant to not be good too so i'll give it that credit it's not trying to be good and so he pops he's wearing eyeliner for the record matt can't (laughs) wear eyeliner but billy can yeah yeah that's backwards that doesn't make any sense uh so he kind of snaps out of it because allison comes through and he's pulled an all-nighter which he describes as and i quote a fuel-injected locomotive ride on a non-stop ride to glory. Which See, is, and you say he's not a good rider. That sounds like something he stole from Bruce Springsteen, which we referenced in the last episode. He is writing this script. It's hot. It's hot stuff. He's going to be a millionaire. He's going to sell this hot script. And Allison's like, what happened to the great American novel? And he's like, screw that. <laughs> I'm going to sell this script because I'm so talented. And so he 
does that. He goes to work late, too, which is a poor choice since he just got that job driving the taxi. On his way to work, then he stops at Allison's job. Allison is clearly very busy at her desk. You can tell because she has lots of papers. She's moving back and forth from pile to pile. And he's like, I need you to read this script. And I need you to give me constructive feedback by tonight. And I'm like, wow, that's a big ask. Like, she's clearly at work. Can, can you wait till she gets home? But apparently not. We cut to later when she bumps into Matt, as we discussed earlier, who invites her to a hot party at the canyon. And she passes and she mentions that she had to read Billy's script. And Matt, who, again, we could have much more of. He's very funny when he's here. He says, and attractive take- when they don't put him in those shirts. Yeah, and if they give him like a haircut once in a while too, that's going to become a problem later. He says, I take it. His dad not- must be so proud. Oh, God. I take it it's not a comedy, and she responds, not intentionally. That was fun. Uh, so <laughs> Billy gets home, and she has decided she's going to make dinner so that there's like a distraction and something to like soften the blow. She doesn't know what to tell him. The only way to be honest is to say it's not very good. And so she cooks tuna casserole. He jokes how she's willing to share her food for once because, again, normally she writes her name on every single thing in the refrigerator and the pantry, wastefully just using post-it. You need to let it go, the post-it notes, Mary. Can't. I can't. They're just post-its. <laughs> when he finally, he, so he doesn't even ask for her feedback. He just assumes it's great. She made dinner. Anyone who would take tuna casserole as a sign that things are going great has some things wrong with them. Allison can be, I, I find her distasteful. She was quite, quite. How dare you? How dare you? She was honest with him, but I thought diplomatic. Like she was like, you know, I, I didn't really think it was great. She but... said, Billy, it's terrible. But I was honest. But not diplomatic. But no, she did follow it up with saying, I do think you're talented. And I think if you try like, you know, reworking these things and putting more time into it, it could get better. Uh, and Billy responds by saying she just doesn't know anything and accuses her of fattening him up with dinner. Which I Making me dinner, fattening me up. And so she retorts again. She's like, you know, I'm trying to, you asked for the feedback, so I'm giving it to you. And then that son of a bitch, Billy, has the nerve to say, you have no taste, just like your lousy casserole. Okay. First of all, she made you dinner. And you have the demand from Allison. She day. made You're him tuna casserole. I wouldn't go so far as to say she made him dinner. He hasn't done anything for her all day. All he has done is make demands. He should place anything. She read this horrible script. He wants her to just say what he wants to hear. And on top of all that, you do not tell a Midwesterner that their casserole is lousy. I don't care how lousy it is. You don't do that. That is war. You are asking for trouble. So later on, cooler heads prevail. They meet up at Shooters, and he seems to be just sitting at the bar drinking Coke and talking about how sugar can heal your infections and wounds, which I thought was a strange turn. <laughs> and he seems to be <laughs> down. He's like gobbling peanuts out of a bowl, I presume because she took away his tuna casserole in a fit of rage when he insulted it. Uh, and then, he's, then he has the gall to start complaining about how his dad is critical of his career, which, again, what career? It, like a week ago, you lied and got a job as a dance instructor, and now you're driving a taxi cab, and you gave up all your fares by bringing home taxi cab confessions. Oh, oh so now you're just like Billy's father. I, if I have to pick which I'd rather be like, it probably would be Billy's father at this point. And he's mad because his dad wants him to work at the furniture store, and, quote, he wouldn't even let me have a sofa. Like, <laughs> no, you got to stand up and work, Billy. You gotta do something, my God. And so he's complaining and complaining and complaining. And suddenly he makes a connection with Allison from all this complaining. And now they know that they should be friends. And so we close. They they seem to have gotten to a better place. We cut to later in the evening. It's after 1 a.m., we know, because she says it is. 
and she comes outside onto the the pool area and billy is outside with the grill on this seems to be a recurring theme with billy and there's this big flame and he's very melodramatically burning page by page of his script on his filthy grill that she doesn't approve of to close it out he asks if there's any tuna casserole left and she says lots you know and and i have to quibble with that too because when she made dinner initially to fatten him up he said oh you made dinner and she smiles and said yes i made tuna casserole for two which seemed odd. I mean, who goes? Who makes a single serving of tuna casserole, right? That that would feel abnormal. But if you made it for two, I assume she still ate hers. So how does she have lots left over? Doesn't she? Wouldn't she just have a serving left? Like part of a serving too, because he ate some before she took it away. He did. He did. And you know what? I but I don't doubt that it, it tastes lousy. Tuna casserole is not a good choice for food you know i'll i don't eat it either but you just don't tell a midwesterner that made you a casserole that it's lousy it may be lousy but you don't tell them that like that's not the code that's not how we live here that's code nope nope well you know mary that poured so nicely because i don't know if you were making the case that this is trashy or high art but you ended with a, an example of how this is high art can i can i explain oh god i hope you so the scene where Billy is burning his script in the grill, I think that classifies as high art. And let me tell you why. First of all, he was typing that script on a computer. And there's one thing to note, two things to note. He's not a good typist. He's hunting and pecking like my mother. He can't and, spell either. She has to keep correcting him. <laughs> she, she does. Yeah. And second, that keyboard was half as tall as her coffee cup. It was thick. It was tall. It was bulky, but it was a computer. And I think this scene may have been the last time in television history that they could have used the trope of burning the script and have it be accurate. Because I do believe he would have saved that file. Is he smart? Does he think, do you think he knows how to do that? Of course he does. Of course he does. He, he, well, Allison was the English major. I don't know what Billy did before this. Didn't he go to college? He did because he defaulted on his student loans. Yes. Yeah. So he's he's saving files up and down everywhere, you know, back when you couldn't put a space in the file name. But he's burning the script in the grill, which is an old trope, right? The burning the script to kind of show that you're done with it. It was it was huge in misery, of course. That captured a point in time. The technology has since moved on because now if someone wrote a script and burned the pages that they printed the file from, I don't think anyone would think, well, all is lost. It tells me that the the literary agents behind this, the writers, if you will, of the of the show, were trying to capture this moment for the last time for all of recorded human history. Even though it didn't make sense anymore, they just wanted to grab it one last time for us all to remember what it was like back when the printed copy was all you had, was the only record that would ever exist. It, it's it's moving. It's it's touching. I'm a little weepy just thinking of it. Do you think they've donated that grill to the Smithsonian along with an exhibit on this so that people can watch the clip and go, God, that was the last time anyone burned a, a document. Mary, I'm sensing a little Jane Mancini level sarcasm from you uh, talking about how wonderful marriage is. But I, you know, I hope I wish they would, because I think it's a moment similar to uh, when Fonzie went swimming over a shark that we should hold on to. We should hold on to. It's part of our culture, that grill. That specific, filthy, 
grail. And there was something really poetic. I didn't even think about it until you pointed it out of the script that Allison did not like being burned in the grill that Allison did not approve of. Mm-hmm. That's deep. It's deep. And, and this is a deep show. So I, I'm glad to have won you over. Mm, I don't know if I go that far. Can I just make one last point before we move on? Of course. One of the things that Billy <laughs> Billy said in this exchange, how he was so excited, <laughs> he said, quote, excitedly, eyes wide to Allison, I finally completed something. And I just thought, yeah, that's why you don't keep a girlfriend, Billy. <laughs> Billy is, he's what one of my former employers would have called a box of parts. Like, he's not been assembled yet. Like, <laughs> factory released that without maybe checking the manual one last time (laughs) do you have do you you have a final point mary oh god do i ever uh so jake we're back with jake uh kelly's still around which i I thought in my kapowski Kapowski. she's she's still popping up uh i thought we were done with that but i was so I don't like that the 90210 kids are still showing up. And I call them kids, even though that one guy is clearly like 35. Like <laughs> Ian Zeering. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's got and, the chest hair of a grandpa. He, he's like, I got to get out of the scene early. Go pick up my social security check. <laughs> my dentures are going to fall. Oh, we're being ageist. Let's move on. Keep going. It's fine. Um, so, yeah, they show up and. And they drag us into a gap. They're shopping at a gap. And I'm like, I don't need to do this. No. Uh, Kelly is still hot for Jake, of course, because as we saw in the last episode, despite telling her, like, nothing can happen between us, they then went off on a moonlit motorcycle ride to the beach. (laughs) Seems like mixed signals. I'm not an expert. I'm no doctor. But that seems like mixed signals to give to a 17-year-old girl. He keeps telling her no. But then he keeps saying, oh, I value our friendship. And I'm like, you... You can't do that to us. Oh, like, wow. Oh, wow, Mary. That's, I can't believe you just said that. Not, not no, mean, no means no, period. <laughs> I, I can't believe you're suggesting otherwise. I, I'm not suggesting otherwise, but I am saying he's saying no, but then he keeps saying, yeah, let's hang around each other. And she'll start like kissing him and he doesn't stop her. I'm like, well, it's either no or it's not no. No wonder she's confused. I don't blame her. Plus, with all due, she's like a 17-year-old girl. When you're that age, your brain isn't done growing. Like, you're still learning crap. And you need, he's the adult clearly by a, a number of years here. So he needs to be drawing the boundaries because she's not going to. We see them at the grocery store to buy. <laughs> the grocery store was great. I forgot that it, in the show, in these early years, there is a weird fixation with like normal errand running. Yes. That, uh, but yeah, that was, and then, so he's trying to be, you know, an alpha male and pay for the groceries and he doesn't have enough money to buy the groceries. Which I'm not shaming it for being poor, but I'm like, then just let her buy them. She's rich. Like, let her buy the ice cream. It's fine. Anyway, they get back to his place. Now, this is already a bad idea. Like, you brought her over to your apartment. It's just the two of you. She is underage, I'm assuming, at least, because they keep talking like she's not 18 yet. Uh, And so they're trying to make lasagna. He's chopping onions, and she's smooching all over him. I'm like, first of all, you're going to start crying because you get away from that onion. Can't handle that. She's dimming the lights and she's putting on what my mom would call the baby making music. He keeps giving her the whole, don't you see how bad I am for you line? And listen, 
you can't do that with a teenage girl, okay? If you want to get rid of a teenage girl and you're like a hot guy, you need to be get boring. You need to be boring. Like go back in the kitchen and complain like, oh, my pots and pans are dirty. I got to wash the dishes right now. Or like, oh, I got to put this lasagna in the fridge. It's going to spoil. Like you don't keep going like, I'm such a bad boy. You can't want me. Like, no, if you want to get rid of her, be boring. Say, I got to go balance my checkbook. Or like, huh, like I better go clean the top of the pool. You don't, you're making yourself more tantalizing to the girl. Like stop it. This other lady shows up that he has clearly set up to show up. Her, she's a sexy lady named Margo. They, they carry out a little acting exercise in front of Kelly where Margo says, we're all just a bunch of babes ready to jump at the snap of your fingers. And it sounds like dialogue from Billy's rejected script. Kelly witnesses all this. She's literally pouting like a child with her arms folded on the couch. I mean, she's literally a child. And she is literally a child. That's a that's a good point. So Margot leaves, and you know it's revealed like, aha, he set this up. They're friends, and she's trying to shake Kelly. And like, you could have saved all of this trouble, number one, by not taking her her moonlit motorcycle ride to the beach. Two, don't let her kiss you. And three, again, I cannot emphasize this enough. If you're trying to get rid of an impressionable teenage person, and you're like. You, the, the tactic is not to make yourself more dramatic make yourself boring teenagers want drama you don't make it more dramatic and be like i'm such a bad boy girl you can't handle this like that's what they want they're stupid they don't know any better anyway he had, he goes to shooters then to sandy and uh this was a sad note i felt for jake he says that kelly is the only person who's ever made him feel good about himself and i'm like you thought this was a sad note for jake <laughs> I wrote I wrote that quote and I wrote asshole. I could not believe he said that to Sandy. Well, and yeah. it clearly hurt her. Oh, I, oh I, I agree. I agree. But I'm like he's, he's just hurting ladies left and right. He's a weird and girls. He's a weird man child riding around. And again, this is a soap opera because in real life, if you were trying to shake off a teenager, you would do it much more effectively than Jake. That's a valid point. The one that I keep coming back to about this is in the first episode in pilot, he says she wants to go into his apartment and he says to her, I think we both know what happens if we go in there. And yes, we do. So he invited her in there. Why did he do that? What was he thinking? That weeks ago, he said to her, she was leaving and he said, wait, come back. I hate moral dilemmas. It's like he he just wanted to find a way to be more dramatic about it. And I, I disapprove of that. He's messing with an underage girl. <laughs> okay and he's by the way he still owes her eight hundred dollars yeah what's up with that yeah that they don't bring that up this time well I, again i think another week and and we remain stuck in our positions but do you have a last highlight you want to make about this number one so kelly i forget when this exchange happens but they're talking about her and jake are, are talking she's trying to show that she she understands him right i mean she, she's a 17 year old and she's got a lot of troubles and she says something to the effect of, I know how hard it is to be all alone and have the whole world against you. And I'm like, you are a blonde, white, white person who is rich. Like, what is, what are your, please describe to me your proud privilege, girl. Like, you're talking to this guy who lives like in a one-room apartment with a motorcycle and he doesn't have more than $40. It was a bit much. And my other thing that I enjoyed, and I forgot how mesmerizing it is, is that shooters, there's that neon light display on the wall of pool balls. And so they start and they're in like 
that triangle pool ball shape, like when you put them all together, I don't know the proper terms. And then triangle. Yeah. <laughs> and the neon boost and like all the, the little neon flashes of the balls rolling away. And whenever I see that, I completely stop paying attention to the show and I just watch the thing on the wall. Yeah, yeah you're <laughs> not the demo here, Mary. And every single time, and every time I've ever seen it, I completely am not paying attention to the show. I'm just trying to understand. I want to figure out the pattern of how the lights move. My highlight revolved around Sandy, and there was a deep thought that came with it. She was doing laundry in the morning, mm. and she mentioned to, that Jake was cleaning sheets before Kelly came over. So there's that. Yeah. But what stood out to me, Sandy, her character clearly stays up all night and sleeps all day. We know that. But here she is up in the morning, fully lipsticked and put together, like ready for the day. And in theory, she's just going to bed. And I, I found that odd. But the, the relationship between Sandy and Jake is actually very interesting to me. I think they were originally thought that this was gonna, those two were going to be like the original power couple of the show. And I'm just, I'm surprised that they bailed on Sandy because she, she's genuinely an intriguing character to me. Oh, much more so than some of the others. Honestly. Like Rhonda? No, see, I like Rhonda. Whenever Rhonda's on, Rhonda's got energy and Rhonda's got some sparkle and some snap. And like when she's there, it's like a little like pop rocks been thrown in and it's like, oh, something's happening. Like Rhonda's here. And I think Matt too, to a lesser extent, but Matt's funny when he's there and they let him talk, something stuff happens. But we're sitting around watching Jane be like an old maid who's married and mad all the time. And we're watching Billy be like slack jawed and i'm like what about talk, talk to these other people sometimes <laughs> that's the whole point of having an ensemble well well i think that wraps up our episode for season one episode three lost and found mary it was a delight debating you hopefully i'll win you over next week we'll see you know we'll see this episode of the melrose cast is brought to you by the chlorine company do you have a pool that is constantly being jumped in by mid-20s? Something people in L.A. That, with questionable hygiene and personal habits with relationships that are running up. You need more chlorine. Buy chlorine at chlorine.info. So, wait, seriously, how, how long does this show go on? How many episodes are there? <laughs> Man, I told you this, right? So, there, it goes to season seven of the original run, but then there's the re the reboot season. So, there's how many reboot seasons? Just the one so far. So far. Okay. But there's also, but then, Mary, there's the, the Amazon has the true story of Melrose Place movie that we should cover. Oh, God. How long? Yeah. And, and. Uh, Models Inc. has to be covered too. Wait, what the hell is Models Inc.? It, it's a two-season spinoff. Of what? What did they? Of, of Melrose Place from the lady from Dynasty was on it, I think. The lady from Dynasty, my God, this was like a whole industry. And I do think nine hundred two one zero to get to understand where this show came from is probably worth exploring. I I don't know if I agree with that. <laughs> and then when Allison left, she went to Ally McBeal. Does it have anything to do with the contents of Melrose Place? I just feel like, how do you really want to be an expert in this or not? I mean, I think you know the answer to that. Okay, so we're in for all of it. Oh, God.